0: Hi, I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a very, very special guest, five-time Olympian, seven-time Olympic medalist, two-time Olympic champion, most decorated Olympian from Africa, a woman who holds this unique accolade of the most individual medals won at an Olympic Games, which she held, uh, which she holds jointly with Christina Egerzegui. Today, of course, I am talking about Kirsty Coventry. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Mel. How are you?
0: have to achieve so much it's like a it's a, a massive mouthful it makes it very difficult for a podcast and you just you're making are it tough <laughs> I'm sorry
1: and I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that.
0: I'm, but it was I'm, nice
1: to be reminded because it feels like a long time ago since I was uh uh wearing a swimsuit every day.
0: Um I know it's uh because I didn't even go into the other introductions. If I if I were really strong I would just I would just lean in and, and say uh You know, you're the Minister of Youth and Sport and Recreation and Arts in the Cabinet of Zimbabwe, which is like, you know, you are a legit politician. The question is, when are you running for the president of Zimbabwe? That's probably the first question you should answer.
1: Oh, goodness. No, David, I don't think politician. I think that's why uh, why I was given this opportunity was uh, to come in as a technocrat and... uh, I help out some athletes and artists and and young people, and uh, so been learning the politics as I go along.
0: Is it is it does it come naturally?
1: No, no. <laughs> that's a simple question.
0: <laughs> well, it, it's you know it, it, when you when you think about it, it's a, you never know what you're dropping into when you're talking to someone who you. You knew and watched as an athlete in the water. You know, you know everyone around them, and then they become an adult and they start a new career. But it's a, uh, you know, you're, it's a very, it's a serious position, and it matters. And uh, this isn't all you do. You also chair the International Olympic Committee Athletes Commission, which is uh, legit and very important. Uh, frankly, it, it makes you the most powerful Olympian representing all Olympians on Earth. <laughs> Let's just, call it a huge, <laughs> let's just call it a huge responsibility. Um, yeah. How much of that time, how much of your time does that take?
1: Gosh, I say, um, obviously with COVID, everything has um, sort of changed, um, but I would say uh, right now, at least, you know, uh, half, I would say half of my time, yeah. Um, it's maybe slowed down a little bit with COVID now that it's, it's a lot more virtual stuff and a lot more things are an email without the travel. But, um, when everything was, uh, I don't know if we should say normal since there's a new normal, but before COVID, uh, I would say about half, half my time was, was being spent, um, doing my responsibilities, uh, with the IOC and, and obviously Uh, representing athletes um, on different uh, commissions at different meetings and um, constantly trying to stay engaged with the athlete community around the world. Um, It's, it really is. It's a huge honor as much as it is a responsibility. Um, It's also a huge honor because you go from, uh, you know, not just representing uh, yourself as a Zimbabwean or a swimmer, but uh, representing Olympians in general. So the amount of things that I've also learned um, just of the different sports. And I think I have so much more respect for Olympians around the world with everything that they do and they go through, Um, especially during this time, right? It's been really um, a tough time for athletes globally. Um, And I just think that they've been so resilient and, um, always finding new ways of staying fit and healthy.
0: A big concern because if you're, it's, it's, you're, the, you're the minister of, of youth and sport in, in your home country, mental health I suppose is a very big concern right now. It's, it, it it's is. a big topic in the United States
1: yes and it is it's a big topic here and it has been and not just for our youth and our artists and athletes but just the communities in general um you know i think also coming from um, an african country um there covid has hit us many ways Um, we've been very fortunate in zimbabwe we reacted very quickly and we shut down our borders quickly and Um, We went on lockdowns quickly. And so we haven't had very high numbers. But because of the focus on saving lives, it's obviously affected our economy, which impacts, you know, daily lives um, hugely. So the mental aspect has been a big topic of conversation um, with many different groups around the country on just how do we support each other and how do we get through and how do we use sport and art and ways of expressing ourselves to help us get through these times.
0: This These are, these are two questions. I didn't want to talk to you about this, but I am curious. Um, how does... How do things look? I'm talking to you from Austin, Texas. These are uh, you know some of your old stomping grounds with your coach Kim Bracken, because uh, mm-hmm. everybody knows everybody who, who's on this podcast knows and loves uh, Kim. They know that you you know you tra- you swam at Auburn and uh, mm-hmm. but you're talking to us from your home country, and I'm just wondering what the United States looks like from the outside in right in in the, <laughs> the last few months. Is it as weird as, as I think it might be?
1: Um, so I was actually in the States, as you know, it's, it's, you know, I consider it my, my second home. Um, my husband is Zimbabwean, but his family is all, they're all in the States. And we were actually in the States in June. Uh, my daughter had to come and visit some of her doctors for her hips. Uh, when she was born, she had a slight, slight hip, hip altercation. So we had to travel back during COVID times. Um which was very interesting. Um, you know, being very strict in Zimbabwe. I just thought everyone was being very strict. like it was mandatory pretty early on to wear masks and uh, have hand sanitizer if you wanted to go into any buildings or any stores. Um, and then getting uh, back sort of home to the US, um, not seeing that level of of things. Um, It was a little bit scary. We were walking through um, the Atlanta airport and I was like, wow, it's just like normal. This is crazy. Um, So it has been interesting to see. And then obviously when we were there, we were just, um, yeah, a little bit concerned actually. Um, So we obviously traveled through Atlanta and through Washington. And then we stayed with my husband's brother who lives in Georgia. And um, at the time they live in a smaller city and and obviously their laws were a little bit more uh, stronger just with, you know, the, the sort of sanitizers going in and out of stores, but it still was, it was pretty surprising that the numbers were just increasing so drastically and and no one really seemed to be, you know, giving it the attention that maybe the rest of the world was, was giving. Um, And I think I personally was almost just, wishing for that um, sort of instruction to come from, you know, from the top to say, guys, we all need to do this. But, um, you know, that's also then learning politics.
0: (laughs) We're never political. This is all swim nerdy, but I just have to say, you know, we're going to make this one exception getting close to our election. I know our president, (laughs) uh, our president, our current president, what is has has he's made wearing masks a political statement and that is very very interesting but when um i can tell you this in the in the united states in terms of like our, our engagement with usa swimming which is our governing body here uh they have worked very very hard to get swimmers back to the pool for for their mental health and yeah. they are aware that plus that wearing masks is a political statement but you still you you have to wear masks. So they've created social distancing and ways to train, and it's been very mm-hmm. effective. So it's what's interesting is that you are so very young, you're're you're, you're you're very new out of your career, and uh, you you're in the middle of a uh, this is a huge challenge. but anyway, we'll move off. <laughs> so let's talk let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. i want I want to nerd it up. You've been going to the yeah. you've been going to the Olympics since high school. Um, yeah. how, old, how old were you in 2000 when you made it all the way to the semis? First, Zimbabwe, summer to make it all the way to the semis. So, how old were you?
1: Yeah. So I was 16. I had my 17th birthday at the Games.
0: <laughs> well, that's cool. I
1: qualified when I was 16, and then I had my 17th birthday when I was there. And then, um, yeah. Went to, got to Auburn the following year and, uh, my first sort of two, three weeks of college and I had my 18th birthday. So, um, yeah, Sydney, I've got my poster actually behind me. Funny that I'm sitting right behind that, but, um, I love Sydney. It was awesome. It was, it was a little bit terrifying though, being, you know, my first Olympic games and being in such, um. An environment where, you know, Australia, the Aussies, they love their swimmers. So you can imagine um, the environment with, you know, 14,000 people there. And, you know, me, pretty much that was the biggest (laughs) crowd I'd ever swum with or in front of. It was very nerve-wracking, but it was awesome. It was an amazing experience. It gave me that Olympic bug, that sort of that fire that I just, I wanted to do more.
0: It's um. A lot of people go to their first Olympics and they they screw it up. Um, okay, I, I went to my first Olympics and I screwed it up. But a lot of people go and they say it's the pancake Olympics. Well, you know, you've got to go through that first one and get it out of your system so that you're not mm-hmm. freaked out the next time you go. Was the 2000 yeah. experience? You know, what was what was it like that for you? Was it a pancake experience or was it was it a huge confidence boost? Uh, I mean, you made history there.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think it was probably a little bit of both. Um, I, I always get really nervous and Kim would always joke and, and she would have to tell me a joke before one of my races and, and we would laugh and, and, you know, to sort of subside the nerves. But in Sydney, she wasn't coaching me yet. I was there with my coach from Zimbabwe, Mr. Matheson. And um, I remember him telling me we were watching um, Susie O'Neill And uh, I remember him telling me, well, look at Susie and and what do you see? And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And so he's like, well, what do you see? I'm like, I don't know. I see a girl. He's like, yeah. And she has two arms and two legs and a head and, you know, a swimsuit just like you. You're exactly the same, you know? And and, um, it, it was really very calming when he, you know, said that when, he just sort of said, "You know, you you have just as much opportunity as the person next to you. You're all the same. You've all been training hard, and now the rest is up to you. And you're either going to, you know, eat that pressure and not do well, or you're just going to give it your best and see what you what you've got." Um, and so I remember having some races where I just didn't swim well at all. But the um, you know the the hundred back um, where I placed 12 was unexpected but it was it was also um because of his advice right where it was just like well i've got nothing to lose and it's the same advice surprisingly that kim kim gave me in 2004 uh when the hundred back didn't go so well and i was in lane uh, i think one in one or eight i forget i was in one of the very outside lanes and she was like well you can't do any worse <laughs> you can only get better um, and so, yeah, I just sort of took that approach in Sydney. Like I'm here to learn and I just tried to soak up as much as I could. I remember watching Inga Debrain and I remember watching Susie O'Neill. and I, I just sat and watched them warm up and warm down and swim. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is a really unique experience.
0: Every athlete has that moment in their life where they're like, wow, I could be great. Um, some people, it happens yeah. late. And some people, it happens early, early, early. For you, when was that moment and could you describe it?
1: That's a good question. I've never actually been asked that question. And, and thinking about it, um, I don't think I ever really had that, that moment of, I, I think I could be great. I just had that drive of, I want to do that. I want to win that gold medal. I want to stand on that podium. I want to feel what that's like. I want to push myself. And I just, there was just, it was more of a drive. So, and I remember watching the, um, 92 Olympic games. Um, and I was nine years old and being like, I want to go there. And I want to, you know, I want to go to the Olympics and I want to win a gold medal. And at nine, you don't really know all the hard work and what it's going to take. But, um, that was sort of the starting point of that drive of this is what I wanted to do. And, and even in my, you know, my better years in my 2004 to 2008, 2009, I don't think there was really a time of, Oh, I'm, this is going to like, I'm going to be great. And this is what I'm going to do. It was like, I just need to focus on what I need to do in order to do what we've been training so hard for. Um, and sometimes it worked and other times it didn't work.
0: <laughs> uh, we we're going to, we're not, we don't have time to go into all of the Auburn years. I just want to, I would like to focus on your elite career, but we, we do have to acknowledge it. Uh, you, you, you went to Auburn and it was an extraordinary program. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a David Marsh alum. I Marsh coached me for a while, changed my stroke, but it's a, so a, a lot of respect there. Yes. So how would you how would you sum up those years because you you went from 2000 to 2004 and by 2004 you were on top of the world. So th- it yeah. was like it was a semi pro experience. It got you ready for the big show. Um
1: 100%.
0: What was the I mean I, I
1: I I loved my urban experience. I owe so much to David Marsh and and to Kim Bracken. I mean Without them, um, who knows where I would have been. Um, I think probably somewhere, but I don't know if I would have had as good of a career uh, without them in my lives and leading me and um, making me a better person. And and that's something that I will always take away from Auburn is David and Kim. Uh, and David being the head coach, they were always more Um, focused on making you a good person and a good athlete but a good person like that was instilled into us in day one that being an athlete is going to come to an end at some point and it doesn't matter how good you are you need an education you need to be you know well-rounded and you've you've got to be a good person and um, I, 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 love both of them for that. And I have so much respect for, for them for that. And the athletes that train with them are extremely lucky. And David has been doing some great stuff. And, um, I just, I hope the athletes that are training with them right now know just how valuable all his little tidbits, um, are, you know, um, and some, some, some crazy at times where you're thinking, what is he talking about? But later on in life, you figure it out and you sort of go back to those times. You're like, oh, that's what he was trying to get us to do. (laughs) Um, And you know, I I love that I have a unique um, relationship with both of them Um, because it's really special. Um, So yeah, I I, I loved Auburn. I love what it gave me. I love that it taught me how to be a team player uh, coming from Zimbabwe, where I was pretty much the only swimmer, um, you, you, you're taught to very much think about yourself and just your needs. Uh, and so I loved that Auburn showed me how to look at swimming, which can be seen as a very individual sport, as a team sport. I loved that. I, you know, I never got to compete at an, at an Olympic Games or World Championships on a relay team. So my college days on those relay teams were just the best. Uh, you know, I still have such fond memories of you know, being put on the 4x100 and 4x200 freestyle and just being like, wow, that's such an honor. Um, but it was. It was instrumental in, in my career for so many different reasons. Uh, but primarily the coaches, you know, David and Kim, um, Dave Durden was there. Uh, you know, we had a powerful group of coaches and that's what David does really well Is he brings people together. He knows who's going to fit where and who's going to be able to add value to his team.
0: A lot of, a lot of fans don't fully understand the commonwealth games in the United States, but we, we do understand going to internet, major international competition that is not the Olympics mm-hmm. and winning. Um, so, it, we people, I think fans see this as a stepping stone, but as an athlete, it does something to your brain. It changes your neural pathways. Yeah. What happened to you in 2002 at the Commonwealth Games when you won the 200 IM?
1: So, you know, I think uh, so my first Commonwealth Games had been in 1998 in Kuala Lumpur. Um, and 2000, funny enough, that was the last time, um, Zimbabwe attended the Commonwealth games, The, the country then pulled out, but winning that medal was, was sort of like stepping on that, that first pebble moving forward. And it was like, okay, I'm heading in the right direction. Um, and it was, it was very gratifying in terms of, um, I had, you know, obviously in 2000 it also was the Olympic Games. There was a lot of things going on, and I'd, I'd had a very sort of like level season, nothing really outstanding. And that can get very frustrating as an athlete. Um, and you'll know that when you just hit those times where nothing seems to be working. And so when I won that gold, it was a little bit of like, oh, okay, we're still on track. And it was a little bit of relief, like, okay, all the hard work is actually paying off. And it's not just going to, um, yeah, <laughs> not count or something, you know, so it sort of was a little bit uh, rejuvenating.
0: It's, uh, it's, you know, th- I, th- I think it's egotistical and a little bit arrogant to even think this way. But I, I'm sorry, I have to think this way. If you were swimming with, for the United States, you would have you would have relays. Uh, you you know, and you probably would have added. You probably would have developed and added more to your relay lineup as well, not just swimming backstroke. And which is kind of the way yeah. athletes evolve in the USA national team. Seven medals yeah. won at the Olymp- uh, on the Olympic stage, 2004. You're swimming individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of all your swims, obviously, the the, the 200 backstroke, the gold, had to be super special. But what you know, what is yeah. a moment that that really defines your experience in 2004 in Athens?
1: Hmm. So yes, 2000. I mean, the 200 back race. Um, you know, I I, I, viv, I can vividly remember not wanting to look at the screen because you're obviously in backstroke you're a lot more aware of the people next to you uh and i had my russian competitor very close to me uh, and i didn't know if who had touched first and i didn't know where anyone else was in the pool and i vividly remember turning around and wanting to see kim and david and then saw uh, a friend of mine uh, from auburn a 50 free from panama um aileen And her and Kim were jumping up and down and hugging each other. And I thought, okay. And then I saw David running to them and hugging. So I thought, okay, this is a good thing. And let me turn around. But I don't think I would have gotten to that point if I hadn't changed my mindset after that hundred back. So going into that hundred back, you know, that first swim, getting those cobwebs out, it had not gone to plan. I was in the end lane you know, having Kim sort of say to me, like, you can't get any worse. And yeah, let's just give it everything you've got. Um, for me, that was super defining in two ways, because it proved to me that I could do it, you know. Um, and also, when I go back and I watch videos, being in lane one, being from Zimbabwe, um, being sort of, on, on the radar, but not fully yet. It was really cool to listen to the commentators because they just weren't expecting me to have that good of a swim. And, and they were like, Zimbabwe? Like, where the heck's that? And um, and it, what was cool is that by the 200 backstroke, my last race, they knew who I was. They knew where Zimbabwe was. They knew I'd been training at Auburn and training with David and Kim. And, and so... I think for me in 2004, that was sort of that defining moment that when the chips are down, it doesn't matter. You can still give it everything you've got and who knows what the outcome could be.
0: You know, a lot of athletes go and they have an Olympics that is, uh, you know, you win three medals. There's something, you win one medal and you're sort of like you're in the club. You win three medals and you're in that, you're you're entering a, a rare group and it's a cool thing and it's, uh, I used to say, if you could have three medals on your resume, that was enough to get, to get almost every door open in sport. <laughs> well, you have seven, but you had three back then. And lots of the yeah. times, oftentimes when people achieve that, they don't keep going. And it, 2005 to 2008, your career was, was taking off and, and improving. You're doing personal best at every world championships. Uh, it's just, it is a, it is a, continual progressive direction uh yeah what was going on what was going on in those intervening years and what was driving you to 2008
1: um i just wanted more i mean um and and kim and i laugh about it because um you know, now I can look back in Beijing and, and, and know that it was successful. But going through Beijing, I thought I completely failed because I'd wanted four gold medals and walked away with three silvers and a gold. Um, but what was driving me was just that need to push myself and to see how far I could push my body um, and to really test myself. Um I'm very competitive. I always have been. I was banned playing card games with the family when I was younger because I would I hated to lose. Um, so I think it was partly that. It was just that drive. And I'd had that sort of taste of what it was like. And I think in 2004, winning the gold medal wasn't necessarily something Kim and I had planned. We had always spoken about getting onto the podium, but not necessarily... We, had, we never spoke about winning the gold or winning we just spoke about let's get on the podium and it's quite a different you know there's just those simple change in words it puts a lot more pressure on you than the others right getting on the podium we'll be happy with anything versus gold um, is quite different and so when i then won the gold because it was unexpected um I think it then sort of gave me that taste of, oh, I want to do this again, but I want to be able to expect it uh, from myself um, to know what that feels like. Um, And so that's really what was driving me. And, you know, in 2004 in Zimbabwe, the country was going through a lot of turmoil, uh, not our proudest moments as a country. And uh, when I came home, There had been a lot of racial divide. And when I came home for the three days that I was at home, there was none of that. It didn't matter that I was a white swimmer. It didn't matter, you know, where I come from or where I grew up. Everyone was just happy and excited and it gave people hope, which at the time, again, I didn't fully appreciate in terms of really understanding. So I appreciated all the sentiments, but I, I was like but I'm just a swimmer and I didn't you know I didn't understand the perspective of where the country was going and what I was doing and how that was potentially getting people to be proud of Zimbabwe again and so I think all of those things as I got back to the States and got back into Auburn and got to see a little bit and have time to reflect. I think that also drove me. It, 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 I wanted to do better for the country and I wanted to be a good role model. And I wanted to be able to bring hope to people when, it, when things were not good.
0: We often forget how much responsibility you have, especially when, when athletes who, who we train with and at the collegiate level, are representing their home countries and their home countries can be, you know, it's, let's just say that there's a lot of protection in the herd and and large Mm -hmm. nations. There's a lot of protection and it's uh, you, I think it's an easier path. So uh, it makes me, I I, I understand, as successful as you are, I, I imagine there was an enormous amount of pressure. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you didn't put pressure on yourself. You didn't feel that, but did, did you feel that? Does it sound like Uh, you were a little bit, uh, 2004, you weren't there, but by 2008, you probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, by 2008, I think I was putting more pressure on myself than anybody. Uh, I think as athletes, we, we do that. We, We know that there's that outside pressure and there's those expectations to do better. Um, But I did, I, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I actually, for as, as well as I did in Beijing, it was a games that I, um, I enjoyed some moments, but really didn't like others because I felt like I had let my country down and I had let myself down. I let my coaches down because I hadn't won and I didn't give the recognition that it's the Olympic games, uh, you know, and, um, a silver medal is nothing to to not be proud of, but I think in the moment when you're you've been so focused on wanting to achieve one thing, um, when that doesn't happen, it it, it can be uh, you know it can be tough.
0: Well, let's 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 put that into context because you have a very legitimate reason to be pissed off that you didn't win the hundred backstroke in 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 two thousand. You broke the world record in semifinals and I, it's like, you know, yeah. breaking, breaking a world record is a sacred thing. It's a, it's like a spiritual moment. It's like the, the world <laughs> cracks open and you're living in a new dimension. So you broke a uh, world record in semis You went 58, 77 double checking yeah. the time. That is correct. Yeah. The so. yeah. And, and then, uh, and then you, you did, you got edged, um, you got edged by you. You lost. What? Exactly. So what? Tell me about that hundred back final. What happened? How did you let it go away? Ah. What it go away?
1: <laughs> Man, I just. You know what? Do you know what was so upsetting? Um, was was it was like I touched and I looked up and the first thing I thought was my time from the semifinal would have won. How useless are you? How what 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 what? I mean, it was just like so frustrating. I was just like ah. But I also knew as soon as I touched the wall that I had overspun uh, in the first 25 meters. I I just went out too hard, too fast, too quick. Um, I was super nervous and uh, I didn't trust myself. I just didn't. And that was part of the the biggest challenge that I had for 2008. Um, You know, my first race was the 400 individual medley. And again, had a terrible swim, ended up in lane one, but then managed to come back. But again, lost it right in the last little few seconds to Steph Rice, who was on the other side of the pool.
0: 429.8 um, in 2008. This is, this is <laughs> a monster swim. This is a great swim, Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. so you you got to give it the respect it deserves. You know, you're, you're know. sub 430 in 2008. And uh from lane from yeah. an outside lane that's that's crazy.
1: Yeah, and to think that I was disappointed <laughs> was is now even crazier to me because I'm like, ah, oh, you know I wish I think there's there's a couple times in everyone in every athlete's career where you could just go back and change things and I wish I could go back in 2008 and just really give recognition and acknowledgement to how well I'd actually swum in those, in those events where I felt like I didn't swim well. Um, but yeah, I mean the hundred back, I I knew when I sort of touched the wall. Um, and, but you know, at least the one good thing was at least it was Natalie. Because if it was someone else, like, like someone that, I, like, that no one was expecting, I think then I would have been even more angry.
0: <laughs> I, I love Natalie, but I, have to, I, I do have to like, from, from your point of view, Natalie did two things. She, she was the first woman to break a minute at her Backstroke. And, and I, you guys had to be in the race together because that was like, you have all these, you know, you're, you're, you have all these historic markers in your career, but I know you wanted that one. So you were in a hunt. You guys were both in a hunt to crack one minute and she got yeah. it. What, what happened yeah. the moment you, know, you knew she's the one who did it? Where you were you just like, Ah, uh,
1: no, I think being competitive. I was like, I got to get it next. I got to take it from her. I got to, <laughs> I got to go quicker.
0: <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, just in terms of, we talked about this before on the show and, and you are the chair of the IOC's athletes commission. And um, mm-hmm. so the, you should be, the, there should be massive studies on this. And if there are not, I'm going to be so disappointed because you could, you have your own PhD on this topic. <laughs> I'm just curious, is the bronze medal a happier medal than the silver medal? Because yeah, the, the gold medal is a happy medal. The bronze medal is a happy yeah. medal because you made the podium. A silver medal is the bitter medal because you should have won gold. <laughs> So was your was your two thousand and four bronze in the two hundred IM was were you happier to be on the podium with a bronze than you were to win silver in two thousand, you know? Cause you have a lot you get Probably. some experience winning silver. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, thinking about it, I would say if I was comparing um, you know, the silver in two thousand and four to the bronze in two thousand and four, I'd say they both equally the same because the silver in the hundred back was my first one. So I was just super excited to have an Olympic medal. Then came the bronze, then came the gold. But if I look at the bronze medal from 2004 and the silver medals in 2008, I probably would have been happier with the bronze. Uh, Because then you're like, okay, I really did, you know, mess something up or, yeah.
0: What's extraordinary about your career is the, uh... You know, you win in tuner back in 2004 at 209. And then you have this great run, which is so personally satisfying for an athlete, which is personal best, personal best in the 200 back mm-hmm. all the way through 2008 into 2009. What was your 2009? Yeah. I wrote down your personal best time. Oh, it's on
1: another page. I think.
0: Thank you. Some athletes yeah. pretend like they don't know their best. Their times down to one, the one hundredth, and they're acting all humble, and I never ever buy it. I remember my ten and under age group times down to the one yeah. hundred.
1: I don't remember all of them to the to the splits, but I do remember most. Yeah.
0: But that's that has to be, and you know what? I'm I'm, it has to be very satisfying. You you did have the you did have the benefit of technology in the suits, but if yeah. we're being Totally honest here, and I, and I'm sure someone's going to be upset about this. I call there's certain athletes, and I, I probably would have been one. Of them. I was always on the on the thicker side, the rounder side. I always care. I uh, I would have benefited probably well from suits, but you you were a very slim, uh, you know, yeah. uh, swimmer, and I, I don't know that the suit benefited you as much as it would benefit other athletes. But you still had yeah. that technology as in, within yeah. the trajectory of your career. But talk to me about those yeah. two pieces, improving all the way through two thousand nine, and also yep. managing the technology as it was entering the market.
1: Yeah, Matt. Well, I mean, two thousand nine World Champs. It. I mean, it was fun because it was in Rome and Italy, and the fans were awesome. But it was also one of the most stressful events. It was. It was not fun. You know, the nice thing with the technology in two thousand and eight is Speedo had pretty much broken the market and everyone was wearing speedo. Like if you go back to the Beijing videos, everyone's wearing speedo, even if you were sponsored by Tier or Nike or anyone else, they gave you a pass and, and you just got to swim in the speedo. Right. Just And it leveled it out 2009 and now the other companies had had time to catch up and go further. Um, you know, one of the worst things I did in 2009 was try on the other suits and practice. And in the jacket suit, in the Jacob, do you remember the jacket suits?
0: Uh, I was, I was in Rome. Um, I was in Rome. I thought Rome was the coolest world championship just from oh, a fun place, beautiful people,
1: kind of a yeah. cool
0: vibe at the, at the event. But uh, yeah. so, yes, I remember cool. Jacob very well.
1: But so I put a Jacob, a Jacob suit on in practice the one day um, before we got to Rome because I wanted to see, which really was stupid. I don't know why I did that. Uh, but at the time, there was also talk of maybe uh, Speedo would also just let their athletes swim in, in whichever was the best. And Jacob was the best you know out there, followed very closely by the arena suit. And I, in my pace, I was a good... 0.3 to 0.5 faster in the J per 50 per 50. And I was like, this is crazy, but it, it was the worst thing to do because obviously the speeder were like, no, you have to wear our suits. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was it was tough because I remember going through those conversations with Speedo and saying, "Guys, like in my contract, it says I have to remain in the top three in the world." But your suit's not like our suit is not the best right now. So how do I, you know, do that? And what do we do? And some Speedo athletes just wore the other suits anyway, and then figured out what you know they maybe get penalized afterwards, but. Anyway, you know, I looked at it and Kim and I had a long discussion and we thought, you know what, Speedo has been loyal to me as an athlete and now it's time that I need to be loyal back to them regardless of what another suit may or may not do. Um, And I was, yeah, I was lucky that um, the 200 back came and I was able to win it, Uh, but it was very close. I, I didn't, I don't even think I made the final of the 100 back I had swum terribly in the 200 IM. Like the meat was just up and down and emotional and stressful. Um, and so it was tough because you also had the media just, you know, giving so much more recognition to the technology than to the athletes. And, and I remember in one interview, I actually got quite, you know, frustrated. And I was like, you know, if you had to put this suit on, you wouldn't be able to do the time I just did. So give us a little bit of credit that we still had to train and you still had to put in the hours. It's not like you could just show up. And I and you're right. I think one of my disadvantages during that suit time was I just could never bulk up in terms of muscle. Um even at my fittest, I was still only you know like somewhere between 18 and 20% body fat. Like I never got more toned. I I never was able to get you know, stronger muscle-wise, and 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 if you were an athlete that could do that, those suits definitely definitely gave you a lot of benefit. Um, but at the same time, I think you were you still had to put in those hours. You still had to train. You still had to wake up early and put in the time. So I think there was a yeah a balance.
0: It was a weird time. I I, I was there every was. Single day and it was uh, it was it became. Sitting in the stands, it became, uh, I I appreciated it. I thought it was fun, but it, it, it did get a little bit ridiculous. It's like, oh, another world record. And people yeah, would applaud and it was sort of like, hey, the, you know, it's going to be a world record, but what's the world record going to be? How fast, how much are they going to break the world record by? Because they did in every event. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: It's, it, and I feel like it took away that like uniqueness or that specialness, you know?
0: It was, and there was, I, I, was uh, I was a Speedo athlete, so I was aware of what was going on behind the scenes with talks and Speedo athletes and Speedo. And it was, uh, but you know what? Kudos to you for being loyal yeah. because I think that's yeah. a very sacred relationship. And I do think it matters. And I do think that that, that's, that swimwear contract is an important contract in your life. Yeah. It's like one of those boxes you check, you know, you, you, you win your medals, but you also had a, a, big, a big swimwear deal. And, uh, you had one yeah. with, with a great company. So w- w- what's yeah. so we've got we, we're really down to our last few minutes. Do you have yeah. any any takeaways? What, what God? What is it like to win seven medals and then retire and and, and like <laughs> now you're in the ministry? And now you're a cabinet member in Zimbabwe. You're you're a hobnobbing <laughs> powerful woman. You know, what, what, what is it when you wake up in the morning? Is it just like is music playing and uh, the still sunshine?
1: Yeah, no. When I wake up in the morning, I'm 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 looking at my clock to think. Please, I hope it's it's at least six a.m. because my daughter of sixteen months decides to start waking up earlier as the sun comes up earlier. Um, but no, I mean takeaways. I think uh, I'm like I said. I've had incredible people in my life. Um, I've managed to travel the world. Um, I've formed friendships you know, with with Kim and David that I will have forever. Um, So I was really fortunate for for my career. It taught me so much. It taught me how to be tough. It taught me how to get back up. Um, It it taught you that, yeah, like when the chips are down, you can still turn it around and, and take something good from a maybe not so good situation, and I think all of those things are helping me now uh, in my day-to-day life. And um, yeah, I, I was I was super lucky to have the career that I had. And I, do you know, what I was really fortunate as well to to go to London and to go to Rio and and really enjoy the process. You know, I they weren't. Um, I still made finals. I still came sixth in both those in both those Olympic games. But I. I didn't have as much pressure, and they were really fun. And so I got to also experience the Olympic Games um, at like you know a different different level, um, which I'm super appreciative. And I was I was able to walk away from my sport, um, you know, not injured and, and on my own on my own terms. And I for me that that was that was really um, I'm grateful for that.
0: it'd be a lost opportunity if I, if I didn't talk to you about this. So we actually, we, we're always checking our intelligence and our sources and, and, and and the big question on the table is we're looking at, you know, next summer and what we have in Olympics. So I'm going to tell you what I'm hearing from my sources and they say it's unofficial. Like we're, we don't report on this. It's swim swim, but we'll, I'll talk about it in a podcast. So this is kind of what we're hearing on the domestic side in the United States. We're going to have an Olympics. It's likely that it's going to be only Japanese fans. And there's a likelihood it could be fewer sports. It's going to be a question of how many sports we have. And, and I've, I've been told that we're absolutely having Olympic Games because the IOC cannot, the IOC has to fulfill that, that television rights agreement. Uh, It is a catastrophic moment if they don't at least run a televised Olympics. So they have to have it. So the point was 99.999% sure the 21 Olympics will happen. How how accurate is that statement? Can you comment on anything?
1: (laughs) So I can comment on the full commitment of the IOC and the Tokyo government and the organizing committee that we will have a Games and right now we are looking at all kinds of of what what that games would look like all different scenarios so um i think it's too early to really say one scenario over another because we just i feel like everything keeps changing so drastically you know in europe we're seeing a second wave there's been a lot of different talk around um the vaccines so there needs to be time Um, so it's 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 giving the ioc and 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 us all a lot more extra work to just try and look at you know how do you plan an event that has you know different a number of different scenarios but that's what we have to do right um so uh we are all fully committed uh to having a games and we we all have to just sort of wait Uh, a little bit to see what that's going to look like.
0: Spoken like a true politician. (laughs) Will you you come back and we can talk about the Auburn years and we'll also just do a check-in because we're going to be in a different place next spring and we could talk about our next Olympics. Would you come back?
1: Definitely. I will definitely come back. You just let me know.